Hello, 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 and welcome to Tease Me. This is a podcast about the intersection of golf, business, and life. And occasionally we'll drop some gems on networking and just how that makes your life better. Because knowing more than one person is actually a good thing. Hello, 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 Tease Me listeners. Welcome to this month's episode. I'm excited because it's Black History Month, and obviously we're celebrating some black history. But more importantly, we're celebrating the entrepreneurs because this season of Tease Me is all about our entrepreneurial visions, the masters of this game, the people that are making history, not just black history, but definitely making history. What I enjoy most about this podcast is being able to capture the stories of individuals. Every person is making history in their own right. And just because the news doesn't capture it and it's not covered by social media or the mainstream, know that every day and every action, it's kind of like the butterfly effect. You're making a difference. Even my own story, as difficult as it was to tell, that's why I had to have a guest come support me in that, it's still a story worth being told. And there's so many other people I haven't gotten to yet. But for this month's episode, I want to talk about a game changer um, that is actually making history as we speak. You know, we talk about stepping into spaces and breaking into industries and really making a difference. And It's not easy work. We have to be persistent. We have to be deliberate. We have to be unapologetic. And we have to be intentional. So for this month's episode, I'd like to introduce you to Ty Develad. And he is a native of Chicago and serial entrepreneur. After being, he says, fortunately laid off from the publishing industry, he moved from the Maryland, D.C. area to Orlando to blend his passion for golf and traveling into a quickly profitable business. GolfQuest quickly became a global tour operator for small to large groups of leisure and corporate golfers. After launching the company in 2010, he never allowed initial challenges in the industry to hinder his goals within tourism that he initially knew nothing about. He quickly realized that he was the only black-owned golf travel company globally, and that presented its own challenges. In 10 short years, he has sent over 4,000 golfers on vacation. In 2019, he launched Deuce Premium as a challenge to himself because many African Americans frequently complained that there were very few, if any, black-owned golf apparel or accessory companies to choose from. In 2019, Ty launched Deuce Premium as a challenge to himself because many African Americans frequently complained that there were very few, if any, black-owned golf apparel or accessory companies to choose from. Deuce is a blend of two collections, golf and lifestyle. The two collections have become the preferred brand for many fashion-forward golfers, cigar aficionados, and trendsetter travelers. As the game of golf continues to attract more players, fashion has evolved into an essential part of the golf game. Enter Deuce Premium. Deuce Premium represents everything that the game of golf is becoming. Inclusive, exciting, daring, and bold. In early 2020, Ty decided to revive the oldest black golf association, United Golfers Association, UGA, that was founded in 1925. Also in 2020, Black Golf Wire was launched to feature the backstories of our pioneers and current golfers. It also features golf industry news, press releases, product and travel reviews, video coverage, and more from established and aspiring bloggers, authors, journalists, photographers, and videographers. Okay, let's hear from the visionary and builder, Ty. Okay, hello, 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 Tease Me listeners. We have Tariq Ty Develod. And, you know, we were talking to Ty because I don't know if you've seen all of the fervor happening around Deuce. I happen to be a Deuce, but that's random separate information that we could talk about at another time. But you've seen Deuce in the media, you've seen Deuce in the stores. And now we're here with Ty to just talk about you know, the brand, this episode of, or this, actually this whole season of Tease Me is celebrating the entrepreneurs and the work they do to build out their company. So Ty, like, start us off. Where did the vision for Deuce come from? Uh, Well, I'm also a Deuce. So uh, yeah, Deuce Club. Uh, Well, the vision came from, it was summer of 2019. I was on a podcast with about seven other African-Americans in golf and different, you know, pros and teachers and others in the industry in different ways. And the question was asked, do we know anyone who's Black who is um, 
who owns a company that we can support. Meaning, like, can we buy a hat, a glove, a shirt, pants, you know, anything from them, uh, you know, training tool? And the answer was none of us knew anyone. Um, there was only like one company had a training tool, but as far as apparel and accessories, there wasn't one. And, you know, the, the, I guess the big question was why? And at that point, basically what I did was, it was a challenge to myself. And I said, well, let me just look and see what, what's out there in a, in a different way. I was in a different industry. I was in golf travel at the time. And basically what happened is I just stayed up for like five hours. You know, you Google something and you go like to page 20 because you want to make sure there was nothing you missed. That was me. It took me hours putting in Black-owned golf, Black-owned, African-American-owned, minority-owned, and just couldn't find anything. And so I said, you know what? If, you know, if it's not him, then it's me. If it's not her, then it's me. So I'll take the chance and jump off the cliff and build the plane on the way down. Kind of one of those moments. And that's what I did. That night, I, um, I launched Deuce that night in my head and on paper. And, um, and that was it. And the, the name came shortly about a couple of days after because I was trying to figure out what to call it. And my son, uh, his name is the same as mine, Tariq Galavalad. And I call him Deuce. And I'm also a Deuce because I'm an alpha, A5. Uh, <laughs> uh, little shameless plug. No worries. Uh, but, but also, in addition to that, I, I thought about what do people do in gestures? And people always throw up their, you know, their, their two fingers when they're taking pictures. So it was a great blend of giving my son legacy and creating generational wealth. Um, naming it after something that I felt that affinity organizations would kind of fall into, fraternities and sororities, uh, and then doing something that could be um, a bit of a social media, um, you know, kind of a gesture that could be, um, I guess, a, a trend. Okay, okay. So there's one thing that was in your bio that I noticed. You said you were fortunately laid off. What is the <laughs> importance of this fortune when it comes to launching a brand or your business? Well, I, you know, I think people always, you know, it's it, it goes both ways. So you, you talk to friends and they say, I'm oh, getting a divorce. I go, oh, my gosh, I'm sorry. I'm like, don't say sorry. Say congratulations. I'm happy now. <laughs> sorry, that was bad. But, that was bad. That was bad. For all y'all that are listening to that, you know, take that <laughs> with a grain of salt. <laughs> uh, however, when it comes to business in my situation, um, I was fortunately laid off. And not all bad things are actually bad for you. Some of them can be blessings in disguise. And that's exactly what it was for me. Um, I did very well in the corporate arena. I was in the, um, I was in the publishing space. So I actually sold textbooks for the Mid-Atlantic area. So from Delaware down to uh, Virginia and over to West Virginia. However, I got laid off on a Tuesday. On Friday, I was on an airplane. Uh, heading to Florida to relocate with my wife and my son at the time. Um, and so, yeah, fortunately laid off for me was a new start. And I didn't want to go into entrepreneurship. I thought I was a corporate guy. But um, my wife at the time said, look, all these skills you have, all this knowledge, all the relationships you have, uh, you should start your own business. Uh, and use that instead of making millions for someone else, make millions for yourself or us. <laughs> of course, of course. It was um, us. It was us, us, yes. You know, thinking in we, I speak French every now and then, but not often. So when I think about, you know, being an entrepreneur, it's like doing the scary thing. What was, and because that gives you growth and that offers the most growth. So what was scary about making that pivot for you? And how did you overcome it, you know, from corporate guy to entrepreneur? Uh, it's It's not gone. I mean... It's scary every day. Every day, you don't know what you don't know. I tell people that all the time. I, you know, me starting a business, had I started businesses before? Yeah, but I didn't have responsibilities. I didn't have people. I didn't have a wife and a son that were responsible for, you know, that I was responsible for in a way where I couldn't just play around with it. It couldn't be just, let me see what happens. And I had to commit to it. Um, did I know about building a website? No. Did I know much about golf travel, which is the business I was in? Um, not much. I, I knew I loved to travel, but I knew nothing about running a travel industry, a travel, uh, a tourism, a golf travel company. 
that sent people around the world to go enjoy this wonderful sport that we enjoy so much and love. Um, and so the easiest thing for me was just to get on airplanes. So every week I was on an airplane going somewhere or driving somewhere to go experience uh, a new golf resort, a new destination. And that's what I did. People had to see me actually doing it for them to be able to trust me, for them to trust me with their money and their vacation. Yeah, golf travel is a hard one. Um, I think it's because you know travel itself is a difficult in, like industry to manage, and then everyone has all of these expectations that they don't communicate until you're halfway through the trip or trying to plan it. So that you know, there's managing expectations there. But if I had to pivot and go back to something like you're fresh off the PGA show, from what I understand. Yeah, days. Yeah. Days, yeah. What was that experience like for you? Um, Because I believe we met at one of the shows in 2020. What was that experience like going from being at the show to vending and being a person selling at the show? Well, I've I've actually been a vendor there. This is my fourth time, Um, but it was the first time with Deuce. And I knew one thing, or my team knew one thing, we had to bring it. Like there was no option to set up some kind of funny looking, you know, booth. No, I mean, we knew the shelving had to look a certain way. Everything had to have a certain consistency. Our, our look and feel from our hats to our gloves and cigar cases and pouches and duffel bags all had to look high end. Um, and it couldn't look, no one could come up to our booth and go, eh, you know, I don't know about the cost. You know, that was that was never a question. Um, but the we we walked away with over a hundred leads. Um, I want to believe that all of them are quality. Uh, we we walked away with a, a contract with Troon Golf, um, which is great. That's the largest golf management company in the world. And now we're an official uh, approved vendor for Troon. Um, you know, we had some other conversations with a very large company. I can't say their name, but they have well over a few hundred uh, golf shops and athletic stores around the United States. Uh, and they were, they liked that stuff a whole lot, mostly because their competitor has our stuff, but they wanted to know all they wanted. All they cared about is what did they have, and we want all the rest of the stuff. Um, but my team, they rocked out. From Ken and Vanessa and Mike and Jack, uh, we we did a great job. We had, I mean, literally, we came in, we laid the carpet ourselves, put the padding down, everything. So we just all our big thing was is walking away with opportunities. I told them, don't worry about it. We sold something physically on the floor. Just establish relationships with people and get their interest, and make sure we don't leave without their information. And we've had, I think, over 16 requests for business already. And it's Tuesday afternoon. And people are running. They want our stuff. So now we just got to produce, which is fine because we have stuff in stock. So it makes it easy. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, there's so much there. If we were to take a step back and just kind of talk about the importance of showing up and creating that visual, you know, what thoughts went into that when you were saying, I need to make it first in class? Um, first it was positioning. We weren't given options to have the best booth initially, which was disappointing. They kept pushing us off saying, oh no, this is good over here. I'm like, but that's not what I want. Um, so I was patient and I finally got a booth. Some people were leaving. A lot of the big companies were not there. So like the Titleist, Nike, TaylorMade, you know, FootJoys you know, all the big companies. We were the only, for the most part, golf headwear company there. So for me, it was actually a blessing that the big companies weren't there because they're a distraction. So they came, a lot of the small businesses were able to really get some great attention. So the important things for us was our position on the aisle, which we had an aisle booth, which was great because it gave us a lot of visibility. And then we weren't hard to find. And then secondly, we had a lot of other opportunities because we had, again, our presentation. You know, um, we walk by, you're going to say, what's that? 
We didn't put our black and gray and white hats on the cap on the end. We put our pink, purple, blue, red, things that will catch your eye. And then we had the black, our signature hats in the middle because we wanted you to see the hat you really wanted to see and walk all the way through our booth to get to that. That means you have to see everything. So there was very much a strategy behind everything. Mike was a part of that uh, coming up with the vision on positioning. So really, you know, he heads off to Mike, Mike Chappelle. Awesome, awesome. And then another thing that you just mentioned that entrepreneurs need to think about, the importance of building relationships. So you were talking about how it wasn't about closing the deal. So just talk to the people listening as they're thinking about building their business and they've got this dope product or they've got this, you know, amazing sweatband that takes all the sweat and repurposes to make it good for the environment. Who knows what it does? But right, <laughs> right. It, yeah. And it all of a sudden, right, like you, people can't see what you're doing. But for those listening, he's wringing it out. And so imagine that you're wringing out the sweat and now it's, you know, all of a sudden make flowers grow. So talk about the just that importance and just really like what that looks like um, for a new brand or a brand that's kind of just stepping into this space. I mean, you can walk into a booth and say, we want to walk away with $30,000 in business before the weekend's over. But is that really realistic? Um, you know, I'd rather say I want 150 business cards um, and then allow me to be able to determine how I, you know, walk away with that 30 grand. I mean, we very much, 10 business cards can actually create 30 grand. So, you know, it's that whole 80-20 thing, but I believe in that, but I don't because I think a lot of it has to do with your follow-up, your follow-through, and how you close, you know. And so if we follow up fast before our competitors do, we'll be fine. We'll be the first ones to email, um, you know. And then the next pieces are just, you know, having good quality content, being able to deliver, and then making sure you give them a good a good price and a good follow. You don't have to discount your stuff because you have to respect your brand and your pricing. Uh, and they respect that. If you discount your stuff, like you're trying to give it away, they're going to, they, they're going to look at you and say, mm, yeah, maybe stuff is not as good as we thought it was. Um, Cause he's giving it to us for free. But if you stand firm on your price structure, if you tell them, no, this is our structure. This is how it works. Everyone else is on the same bracket. This is what you get. This is what they get, you know? And, and so a lot of people, a lot of these big companies want to, you know, dig into these small companies because they feel like they really want the business. Like they're going to die on this thing if they don't get it. But no, if I don't get your business, I'll get someone else's. And so, but you're going to, you're going to respect the business first. Uh, and that's one thing that our team made sure of. Uh, but getting that done is is the hard part because now you got to follow all the way through and yes we have a small team um but everybody's got their leads and everybody has a mission and we're all trying to you know to be fair and transparent and make money so you don't close any deals you don't make a lot of money so uh that's why we are here to make money we are not here to you know sing you know sing songs and and peel back bananas and just, you know, look up at the sky, you know, every business, if you're not in business to make money, then you are in the wrong, you need to go do something else. Look, even nonprofits have to make money. And I, I say it all the time. I can't eat your, I can't, I can't eat that free. Like I can't pay bills with it. You know, no. I don't, I don't want the credibility. I don't want any of the flash. I need the cash. And we are uh, that not holding off for profit thing is, uh, I'm it's okay the best money maker that. out there. What are you talking about? They, they that's the really, best money maker. It is. It's a it's a great, but you gotta have one. I mean, I have one, but it's not, you know, you don't own a nonprofit. You you kind of run very true. You know, so people kind of also who don't know the industry, that you don't own a nonprofit. You know, it's more just an organization. Your board can boot your butt right out of there. <laughs> you know, the, yes, always the risk. And you know, because the nonprofit is for the betterment, betterment of society. Supposed to be. So I want to pivot because one of the things that I found amazing, you know, your partnership and conversations with some of these legends. So we've talked about Jim Dent. Well, we've not talked about him, but I had the opportunity to meet Jim Dent with you. Um, and then I know you're working on a tournament coming up soon. So tell us about like the tournament that you have coming up soon. And what was the importance of creating that? So the importance of creating the Jim Thorpe Invitational was 
to be honest, to give Jim uh, somewhat of a legacy event that he hadn't been given. When we look back from Lee Elder to Charlie Sifford, you know, we look at Renee Powell, who's still with us, and Jim Dent and Jim Thorpe, who are still with us. Only three of our true legends are still with us. James Black is too, but he's having a hard time right now. And so he's kind of, you know, in the in hospice. So, but for me, I have a special relationship with Jim, uh, which is almost like a dad, uncle, grandfather kind of a thing. He's not old enough to be my grandfather. He's old enough to be my dad. But um, I decided to do something special for him because I know that Jim is a giver. He gives relentlessly. He's, he's extremely gracious. He always says, thank you. And I learned, and I'm all, I'm a, I, I over tip, but Jim over, over tips. I was like, you giving it a 50? <laughs> but I was like, you know what? But whenever you go back to places, they're like, hey. And I'm, you know, so you learn things, but the goal for creating an event for him was threefold. One, to give him a legacy, an opportunity to be able to create an event that will be here longer than he's with us. Um, something that actually stands with us. And secondly, was to give young black juniors and minority juniors another golf tournament that they can actually attend and compete and see other little kids who look like them. Um, and this is kids who are anywhere between seven to eight years old, all the way to 18. Um, and that's important. Right now, we only have one other golf tournament like that, and that's the Mac Champ. And kudos to Jeff Champ for putting that together and doing a great job of you know, bringing that together. However, you know, there needs to be more of those. You know, so I, one of the parents asked me a couple of days ago, he said, what's better than two uh, golf tournaments, you know, featuring black kids? I said, what's that? He said, four. <laughs> so you're right. I don't know if I'll be the one putting on the other four or two, but and I, when you realize when he and when he said that, we laughed, but we know that is is a fact. So part of that golf tournament is bringing together uh, young black and minority juniors, as well as some of the top, uh, basically black and minority uh, professional tour players, both men and women. Uh, and then the third thing, honestly, is is giving back. You know, a lot of times we, we we talk about giving back, but we don't see it. So things have to be shown in a way that is more intentional. Uh, we have to make sure that people can see our give, not just hear our give. So the give back, and sometimes people always think that giving is something that's financial. Giving is not always a financial give, it's a time. It's giving back with energy, resources, and access. So people always think, well, I don't have money to give back, but you do have time. You know, so, you know, people forget that. They think that giving is always a, a financial give because, um, you know, it's, but people, people just don't, I guess the people on the outside, not in the trenches, really don't get it. But hopefully they're listening and they understand that now by hearing me say that. Yes, absolutely. Like time, and first of all, time is probably more valuable than money because you can get money back. You can't get time back. This is a fact. Yeah, it, you know I like facts, so that's that's helpful. But let's let's take another pivot. I mean, you know, when you're looking at just like the vision for for Deuce and like as you're creating the vision for your company long term, you know, a lot of people don't know how to dream bigger than that moment. And when you think about like just goals and things that you'd hope to see for your company, what comes to mind? I'm going to be very open with you. I had no idea. I just I just wanted to have a brand that people like, people wore, that my people like, and if, you know, other folks who don't look like me liked it, great. Um, but then I realized that it was bigger than that. Um, yes, I'm Black. Yes, my company is run by a black man, and majority of our employees are also African American. Um, and but I didn't realize what I had in, on my hands until people started pouring into me. Until Forbes magazine decided to do a feature on me last year, 
um, until PGA Tour Superstore decided to uh, say, look, we're going to take a gamble on you. You know, you're the first Black-owned company that we brought into the store to be in our stores across the U.S. and on our website. You know, uh, it's don't F it up. <laughs> you know, for everyone. <laughs> For everyone involved here, not just us, but your own folks, leave the door open when you when you leave, uh, you know. And then we had an opportunity to partner with NBC Sports Next, which is basically Golf Channel, and they say, "Hey, we love your stuff. Can you do something for the Masters?" Sure. So then I did a gifting program for the Masters for them and their executives and top clients. Then they said, "Great job. Can you do something for the Ryder Cup?" Hell yeah. You know, and I said, what do you want? They said, we want Team USA and Team Europe hats. Can you design those? Of course I can. So we designed them for them and they had them at their chalet at the Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits and we're giving them out to everyone. One person, one person specifically took 20 of them. His name is Michael Jordan. I don't know where those hats are. Well, I want I want I want to know what's going on with my hats. Right, he's not heavy um, on on social media like that, so it's, no, it's in a so very I private. Know I'm not going to see it, so they just sitting around. But he gave them to somebody, and then while I was there, when we talk about access and resources, this is when black companies start to actually grow. Because I was given the opportunity to be there at the Ryder Cup in the chalet for NBC Sports. And I'm talking to some people and somebody brings up this older black gentleman. And he says, how you doing, um, Kevin? How you doing? I said, hi. I said, he said, can I talk to you for a second? I said, sure. I'm almost done with this convo. Can I come inside? He said, sure. I sat down. I said, hey, how you doing? Um, you know, so how are you involved? Oh, they introduced him as Kevin from the Big Ten, the conference. I walked up. I said, hey, how you doing? said, so how are you involved with the Big Ten? He said, oh, I'm the commissioner. I said, oh, shit. Oh, oh, oh snap. <laughs> I, I, that's when you lean back in your chair, leg over, you know, like, let me reposition myself. Right, right. Let me show some let confidence. Me, I'm ready for this. I'm ready for this let, conversation. Let me not check down this Tito's and lemonade so fast. <laughs> don't be and, shouting out uh, brands if not, don't shout out brands if they're not paying. Pause. Okay, keep going. Okay. My bad. Do, it is do, good, though, but. It's called the Ducey. Uh, oh. <laughs> right. That's my, that's, my, that's what I call it. So um, we start talking. He says, look, I love what you're doing. How can I help you? I said, I think this is an easy question. But, you know, the easy answer is, you know, do you have any Black-owned companies that currently have licensing agreement with the Big Ten? And his answer was no. I said, well, there you go. He said, okay, well, let's talk next week. Three meetings later, I was on a Zoom call with all his senior level executives and my team. And they were like, all right, let's do this. So they were like, we want hats, we want belts, we want gloves, we want cigar cases and torches and t-shirts and sweatshirts. And, you know, I was like, uh, yes, yeah, all of that, okay. And so that happened like, and the last week of uh, 2021. And it's just been growing ever since. We keep getting opportunities because we keep doing the right thing at the right time and showing people that we're, you know, we can deliver. Uh, and that's one thing that we pride ourselves on is being able to deliver when asked to provide. So um, I, I have a long answer to your question, but to be fair, it's, Opportunities come when given chances. Well, and, no, it's an excellent question. Keep ten, keep continue and, uh, and when given chances and and having faith in in what you do, um, and be confident. You know, a friend of mine talks about tenacity, and if you're not tenacious in everything that you do, um, it's going you're going to get exposed. <laughs> Absolutely, because somebody's going to somebody's going to reveal. But I want to yeah. go back to delivery. So, you know, you can pride yourself on delivery. Um, I pride myself on execution, like being able to bring things from beginning to end. And one of the things that's very powerful is being prepared. So the reality is when they ask you to 
have that placement at the Masters and then to move on to the Ryder Cup. You know, you're playing it down, but there's something important about being able to prepare and scale for to be able to meet that demand when called on. So just talk about like what that was as a business owner and how to kind of educate people because I could see your thing and say, all right, give me a hundred. And what are you going to sit there and sew them by hand? Just talk about like just what that as a business owner, what that took for that, for you to do that and to, to prepare for that. Well, I, they, fortunately we had enough notice to be able to make sure that they actually were, um, we had time to get them sourced from our manufacturer across seas. Sometimes they don't give you a lot of time. And so if you don't have the product in house, if you're having shipping issues, um, a lot of big companies are having issues with getting supply, supply chain issues. So we are, we have been very savvy about dealing with supply chain. So we just have a formula that we use with, with, as it relates to shipping. We use that formula very well, and it's been working very well for us um, to make sure we get our products very quickly. But they basically were like, hey, we need this. We need that. Can you design it? We sent them a mock-up of what the hats will look like. They made a couple, two, three changes. We were able to give them back something that they were very happy with. And they said, green light, go. You know, one of the other challenges for a lot of small businesses is that if you're working with big companies, it takes them a long time to onboard you onto their accounts payable system. And you, you got to have the actual cash flow to be able to actually make that happen. And because you may not get paid for 30 or 60 days. Yep. And if you can't afford that to do it, then you, you can't say, hey, guys, I would love to do it, but I'm going to need a little advance on that money, you know? And they're going to be like, well, hmm, you don't have any money? Like, you can't carry? So, but if you can't do that, then that's, a, that's another whole other problem that you have in your hands. So that's just kind of where we are. But yeah, cash flow helps. If you don't have the cash, you can't, you know, you, you can ask some people for money in advance, but most of them will say, you know, no. Yeah, cash flow is king. I mean, cash is king in, in general, but being able to scale a business. I mean, I think that's another thing about like just being businesses, small businesses being underfunded. They really don't always have the positioning or the money and access to scale. And so that also is like a challenge. So let's go back to some other things that we've seen recently. Steve Harvey in Dubai. Steve Harvey loves your head. So let's talk about like just that conversation. And from what I recall reading, I think I read that you did a gifting suite for one of his nonprofit events as well. So just talk about like the importance and just the role in, in which the Deuce relationship is played in, in him, working with him. Uh, yeah, I guess I forgot. I forgot about that. I left that one out. You <laughs> saved the class. What are you talking about? There you go. There we go. That was a strategic uh, move there. Oh, yeah. So we were given the opportunity to actually provide a gifting pop-up shop for his guests for the Steve Harvey Golf Classic in Atlanta uh, at Bears Best. And we did it with the help of Sharon Page, who's his like number two on his foundation. And thank you, Page. Uh, if you if you see, if you hear this, thank you. Uh, but we got the opportunity to actually gift hats as soon as you come in the door. So Steve walks in, he says, hey, he looks over, we were to his left and he's like, okay. Cause they always got vendors in places. And he's like, what's that? He just sees hats. And then Paige says, let me show you something. So she brought him over and he was like, you know, tell me about your company. I gave him this little 15 second. Cause for people like that, you ain't got a lot of time. You got 15 seconds, you better give it to them and it better smell like roses and pepperoni pizza. So it was exactly that. He was like, oh, golfing lifestyle. This is my kind of stuff. He reaches down, he grabs this black roped hat, takes out the, the, uh, the filler on the inside, plays around with the bill a little bit, adjusts it, puts it on his head. I said, do you need a mirror? He said, well, I know when I look good in something. I said, well, damn. Well, I, I'm, I'm, like the, I'm like, well, all right then. He gave me a fist bump, and he was like, I love what you're doing. I'll see you later. 
He said, you got a booth outside? I said, yep. Fast, fast forward 20 minutes. I went and asked him for a couple of photos. He said, no problem. He shared with me some business nuggets. And then after the tournament, he came over to our booth. Over the two days, we saw close to around 160 people. And then Steve came over to the booth toward the end. And he said, show me around. We had a special gift for him, which is a decanter. Uh, he had his, his name laser engraved on it as a gift for him, uh, which he loved. It was extremely appreciative. And um, he said, uh, all right, I like everything in here. He said, I want three of everything. So I looked at my team, I looked left, looked right. I was like, ah, uh, did he say what I think he said? He said, he said yes, sir, three of everything. He said, uh, I'm a, a large belt, extra large glove, and I want, yeah. So if you got one of something, I'll take that. So uh, add all that up and go talk to Cliff over there. He, he said, Cliff, he raised his hand. He said, that's the guy with the credit card. And that was it. And then ever since then, every time, if you look on his I am Steve Harvey TV Instagram, every time you see him playing golf, you'll see this uh, white deuce hat, which is his favorite hat. And he wore it in Dubai. He wore it at uh, tournaments, charity. He wore it for his advertising, for his golf tournament. Um, so that that hat is uh, hasn't made us millions yet. Steve, you got to tag us, man. Have your people tag us, not just wear the hat, bro. Doesn't help. But anyway, but it's all about placement. So, you know, having celebrities wearing your brand often and frequently and intentionally uh, always helps. Absolutely, absolutely. And like, that's a good segue into golf. How did you get into golf to begin with? I was introduced to golf when I was very young, but it didn't last very long because my grandfather passed away and he was kind of the introdu he introduced me to golf. And then I didn't pick golf back up until I was 26, 27. And basically my, uh, my first wife, uh, she said, look, uh, we're going to have to start, you're going to have to stop playing golf because we're going to be rubbing elbows with some, you know, some certain kind of folks because she's a radiologist. I said, all right. So she said, so I called a buddy. We went to the golf range and, you know, like the story like everybody else with the golf range, hit a hundred balls, was hit everything right sideways and everywhere I was supposed to or didn't want to shoot it. The next day I was sore. As I was using muscles I wasn't I never used before or not in years. Uh, and then I went back out there that you know the day after. But that's how I got started getting into the golf industry. <coughs> Excuse me. Was me doing golf tournaments for my fraternity and for uh, the Obama campaign in 2007. So I did something called Swing for Change. That was my first major golf tournament that I did for the Obama campaign. Awesome. Awesome. And so, you know, with that golf travel, that means you've seen some really great destinations. Tell yeah. me like what your favorite golf destination is. Like if you were to say, I, I, my favorite golf trip in life is to do this. That's tough. I would say Phoenix, Scottsdale area. I like the, the elevation changes that they, that it provides. And um, also the temperature. I mean, just because there's no bad, there's really no bad courses. There, well, there's a couple of bad courses in Phoenix, but the but you have a plethora of ones that you can play, and some are not as expensive, but some are very. But regardless, you'll have a good time there. Um, Caribbean, that would be Casa de Campo um, Resort, but I would have to go play Punta Spot in Corrales, which is 45 minutes away, because uh, they're just they're magical. Um, Mexico would be Cabo. There's no bad courses in Cabo. Best place ever. Best food, best resorts, best vibes. Um, and it's just the culture there. I love it. I love it in Cabo. If I were to go back to somewhere across seas, it would go back to China. I played golf in, um, in Hainan, which is an island off the coast uh, of China. It's almost like a little Hawaii. Palm trees, Ritz Carlton, beaches, 50-some golf courses, 
it's crazy. I played in Spain, in France, and Tenerife, but China would be, it's a long flight to get there, but it was worth it once you got there. Awesome, awesome. And do you have a favorite golf memory or moment that you want to share with the audience? I, I have so many because I play with friends. And so every time I get a chance to go play with, with friends and associates, people who I pour into and people who pour into me, uh, to be very, to be very honest, you know, that's, that's a great moment. You know, um, I do enjoy getting the chance to play golf with Jim Thorpe every once in a while, which is everyone doesn't get a chance to do that, but I get a chance to do it pretty often. So, um, that's a blessing, but I, but now that I've done it a bunch of times, it's, it's, it's the, the, the whole newness of the honeymoon wore off, but every, to be fair, every time I play with friends and we're laughing and smiling we have a little cocktail and we got a cigar going that's good times that's me away from the office and a screen that's making me do stuff that you know um that's going to business but you know something i need some me time so that's my me time away okay i might pivot it a little and say do you have a memorable moment where you made a good deal on the golf course maybe that's a better question i would say it wasn't a deal but it was an opportunity that has opened up everything for me. I played golf with my very good friend and co-founder of UGA, Andy Walker, and Jim Thorpe. We played golf at Bella Kalina about a little, about a little over a year ago. And that one round of golf has blessed me with a lot. Um, and I've had a chance to actually, Jim Thorpe traveled with me to the Ryder Cup. I brought him with me, you know, um, and so that was actually kind of special to be fair, but he didn't play with us. He was just there hanging out and enjoying the moments, but that moment to play with Jim kind of sparked the relationship and the two of us where we just decided that this is something that we need to find more time together, but also build a relationship that's um, that I can help him with and he can help me with. And so it's been a two-way street. That's excellent. I love that story. And I love being able to celebrate our heroes while they're here. I think it's such a it's such a, a missed opportunity to, to have such great people still able to tell the stories and spend time with us and, not, and us not be able to really celebrate them and them know that they are celebrated. But let's go back to UGA because um, from what I recall, it was founded in like 1925. So, you know, I don't know what the inspiration was behind revitalizing it and how that came about. Because, you know, obviously nobody from 1925 is here. So when uh -uh. you think about the importance of it, tell us about more about that. Maybe there's somebody who's a hundred years old um, somewhere. Yeah. Um, they're not playing golf. They, they, they're not from 19. No, they're not playing golf. Um, so UGA came how do I even, I've shared this story a thousand times. So I decided to bring UGA back mostly because I, I didn't feel that there were, there were organizations that were, as there's many organizations I felt were national. There were a lot of regional and local grassroots organizations but the history of UGA going back almost at that point, 95 years, um, and the history and legacy of the organization was founded and rooted in a passion for black golf excellence and introducing the sport of golf to a group of people, specifically black folks back in the twenties when we weren't respected the same way we are now, 100 years ago, 100 years later. And the organization was founded because over four or five years, a lot of Black folks who were trying to play competitively uh, in golf tournaments throughout the U.S. Were, were turned away over and over and over again, mainly because the PGA of America had a bylaw that said that to be a member of the PGA or to play on the tour, you had to be a, a Caucasian male 
born in North or South America. And, and, and it's not just being a white man, it was, so even white women weren't allowed then. So they were, it was white, it was women all together and anyone of color. Um, and the organization was founded by eight great people in DC at a YMCA uh, in, in the summer of 1925. And their goal primarily was to find ways to be able to create a black ecosystem of golfers that they can help grow the game, but also provide opportunities for them to be able to play competitively as a group and an organization. And, and then over the next 50 years, that got up to close to 10,000 members. And this was 10,000 members, no Facebook, no Instagram, no LinkedIn. This was back in the day, you know, uh, where it was just letters. <laughs> no fax machines where you can, you know, so it was di very different. But they were able to grow and do something special. And our organization, we just want to continue the legacy. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then also you're working with kids. So talk about like some of the work that you're trying to, to do through UGA to impact the next generation of golfers. Um, one of the things that we're doing here locally in Orlando right now is hosting a golf camp uh, every month. And that's focusing primarily on the elite golfers. Um, we know that there's a lot of kids who are just learning and picking up the sport. And we want to make sure that we support those grassroots organizations uh, in one way, but there's a void in golf coaches or camps or platforms or resources where they can get access to top tier teaching professionals here. Um, and so we figure we start here in Orlando and we'll start pivoting off into different cities. Our goal is to take UGA and create UGA academies, golf academies, and then go to these next, these big cities over the next three years and actually go and create UGA golf academies in 10 major cities so that we begin, and I'm going to get dinged for this by somebody, but I don't care. We're going to pick up the torch where first he made a mistake. And first, he has not lived up to what they were originally supposed to do, which was to uplift and go find kids in underserved communities and provide them with an opportunity to play and to learn a game that's always been given to people who don't look like us that has become natural, where baseball, football, and basketball and other sports for inner city kids are, you know, that's for them, but this other country club sport that we have, which for more fortunates, um, you know, so that, that, that ball has been dropped and I, we don't see them making a huge shift anytime soon. I know that, you know, but prove me wrong. If I'm wrong, then prove me wrong. Show me. Because when I see kids who are playing in first tee programs and they live at the country club, you know, their parents pay $100,000 to be a part of, then this is, then, then, then why are we here? You know, and then why are all the first tee programs in inner cities falling and going to the wayside because they don't have the resources to stay open because first tee is taking all the money corporate and they're not pushing the money down to make sure that the smaller ones and and urban cities and communities are being um, supported. Now, Ty, you know that as a vendor, you need to be agreeable, right? You know that you have to be agreeable. Here you are stirring some controversy. I mean, any Goodwill organization is able to audit the, the outcomes and the impact when they do their surveys on and their incoming, you know, when you're surveying the incoming students and you do those assessments. And when he got dropped off in a Jaguar, maybe he shouldn't necessarily be in the first T program, but you know, it is what it is, but, you know, always keeping it real and staying honest. Thank you. Well, the, well those polls, I, I've never gotten a poll from uh, when it's time for voting. I don't know. Have you gotten a poll? You know, <laughs> when, when, when it's time for presidential elections, I've never gotten a phone call asking me who I want to vote for. So those polls and those numbers, uh, yeah, but show me. 
I, you know, I, you can't, you are preaching to the choir. We have finer life golf for that reason. So I look forward to partnering with you and open up some stuff in Harlem. Cause you know, when you go up to the Bronx, it's a little hard to get those kids onto the course. So, you know, we've got wonderful partners like five iron that let us just bring the babies to, uh, from Harlem downtown, but it is what it is. No, but I love that, you know, five iron, the one in Chicago and the one in, you know, in New York and the city is, are great and we need more places like that. Yeah. You know, but they we have to give them some place to play, you know, and they if they give up, if Top Golf decided to say, you know what, bring your 25 kids to us on a Saturday morning at nine o'clock. Nobody is at Top Golf at nine o'clock on a Saturday hitting golf balls, drinking beers. So you can give up two, three bays for a grassroots organization and let them go play and learn and get lessons and let them have a good time and enjoying a sport that doesn't to them at, at least at that point look boring. Yep, from your mouth to the golf god's ears. Let it be heard, let it be heard to yes. the people. To the people. So Todd, this is where we're gonna wrap up and just kind of shout out. I know you have Black Golf Bar, we didn't even get to that. But if you wanna just give us some summary on, you know, being a serial entrepreneur is no game. So we're looking at it from a time perspective and, you know, we'll talk more about that. You know what I think that means? That means we just need to have you back on. Yeah. That's what that, that means. That's I, what got it means. Some, I got, I got some other gems. I love it. So, yeah. So thank you again. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, you know, these are the opportunities that we love and cherish when we get a chance to talk to family, uh, our black golf family, um, you know, just because people want to hear certain things. And when they, they go, I never knew that. So if we can, if we can be a, a, you know, a chariot for information or resources, then, you know, look, put my horses up front with the two, you know, two wheels and I'll put on my, my helmet and let's go. You know, I mean, and look, if I got spikes on the side of those wheels, sorry, I'm coming in hot. <laughs> look people just stay out the lane or move over so <laughs> that's right that's right pardon me excuse me i got things to do exactly exactly so everyone stay motivated put the spikes on and keep it moving so there you have it another tease me episode this year we are focused on the builders the entrepreneurs the people that are making things happen they're not just talking about it they're doing it you have to put on your hat and just keep moving can't get distracted by anything that's going on to the left or the right of you you just have to grind consistently i know this season isn't necessarily about gems but the lessons learned here build relationships, maintain relationships, ask for what you want, and be prepared for the opportunity. Be ready to scale. The work that we do around strategic planning is so relevant because many companies have great products and great ideas, but when the opportunity is presented to them, they're not ready to take it to the next level. They don't have their production in line. They don't know how they're going to go from one to 100. So being able to know what my operational plan and my scalability plan is and how I would execute if given this opportunity is tremendous. There is one thing that remains true about this story, about this podcast. Golf is at the intersection of business and life. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Tease Me.